The Tom Woods Show, episode 1296. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Hi, everybody. Tom Woods here. We're talking today about tattooing, a subject I know basically nothing about, but might be interesting for us because it's a story of regulation, of self-regulation, of government bans, of government restrictions and limitations in different countries around the world. So I thought I would talk to a couple of folks I know who are involved in this and, in fact, who have a podcast together, the No Regrets Podcast. You can check it out at noregretspodcast.com. And it's Josh Griffin and Leah Farrow. Josh is a professor, teaches economics, has no tattoos, and his wife Leah is a tattooer and is the co-host of the podcast with Josh. And so they have an interesting uh, relationship in that way. And they have been, or Leah's been doing tattooing for quite some time. I'll find out exactly how long in just a minute. But I've known her a little bit. We've seen each other at events from time to time, and I knew she was in tattooing, but she really knows an awful lot about it. And it's one of these things like when I have Eric Peters on, we talk about cars. You don't have to be a car aficionado to find his stories interesting. And likewise with tattoos, I'm just generally interested in the interaction between the state and society and the state and particular industries. And let's check in with Josh and Leah. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Haven't seen you guys in quite some time. I knew, Leah, that you were involved in tattooing for some time. Now, I am i could not be more outside that industry. I have no knowledge of it at all. But uh, and in fact, I even asked people in my, I have a private Facebook group, actually, secret group. You can't even search for it. Nice. Right? It's like it's not even there, okay? Like and, a speakeasy. Yeah, like a speakeasy. Exactly. That's right. That's right. So I asked them, I said, I, I, I'm not, I don't have any tattoos and I don't intend to get any. But yet I am kind of interested in general stories of industries and government and how they relate to each other and what do you all think. And overwhelmingly, regardless of their personal opinion of or attraction to tattoos, they all said, we love stories like this. So, all right, well, then this is an absolute definite. So, uh, first of all, how long have you been, uh, I guess, a tattoo artist? I've been tattooing for 10 years. 10 years, okay. And I've owned my own tattoo shop for almost two now. And where is that? It's in Huntsville, Alabama. Ah. Rocket City. Okay, nice. All right. So I guess the first thing that occurs to me is to ask about regulation. Because you would think an industry where you're taking somebody's skin Mm -hmm. and you're changing how it looks. I could imagine the state saying, now, hold on just a minute here. I mean, we got to get in here and make sure people aren't dying or whatever it is. Like you just imagine the the hysteria. And yet I'm not sure that's really what has happened. So can you tell me about regulation and how it came about or how much there is, or can you live without it in tattooing? Yeah. So uh, regulation is kind of funny in tattooing because the main concern as communicated by like local municipalities, because it's regulated on a very local level is that we don't spread bloodborne pathogens, which is a legitimate concern because we are coming in contact with bodily fluids. And if you don't practice, you know, certain safety practices, then you're going to spread stuff to people. 
but it's done on a very local level and it's done via the health department on that local level. Uh, the funny thing is, um, well, this isn't really a surprise. The local health departments are incredibly ignorant of how tattooing works, how diseases are really spread or can be spread through tattooing. And they focus on very strange things when they come and uh, do their inspection. <laughs> oh, okay. Now, by the way, I've heard that in other industries too. Like I've heard of a, a guy who produces paper and he says the inspectors come like from OSHA. They're just looking to make sure that the workers you know, don't have equipment falling on their heads. And he says, I basically have to take them around and explain to them what they're supposed to be looking for. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, this is exactly what happened with our own health department inspector when we had to get the shop, uh, kind of get the stamp of approval from the health department. Yeah. And what's funny is um, I teach economics. Um, I actually have a bachelor's and a master's degree in economics. And in my econ classes, I remember, especially in public choice, the conversation was always about, you know, is the government evil or are they stupid? Or is it, you know, sometimes some magical combination both. of both? Yeah. <laughs> And we libertarians, I think, often tend to think that the state just has these agents of the state always have these really evil and kind of nefarious intentions. And, you know, how is it that we can harm people? Uh, and I will say with the local health department, it's again, it's not so much that they're evil. Uh, the woman is. She works, yeah, she's very nice. And it's not even stupidity, but that word ignorance is just perfect. It's like she has no idea what's going on in tattooing. And when she came in and was going through the checklist of all the things we needed, it's like, I don't know if this woman has ever been in a tattoo shop before. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's just, it's very strange and you're exactly right. It's almost like we had to tell her what to look for and uh, you know, what she should be checking for. Yeah. And she's, she loves me because um, there is that stereotype of tattooers being a little gruff and, you know, I'm, I use that to my advantage since I'm a nice lady, but, uh, but yeah, she doesn't know kind of, she focuses on like paperwork and she focuses on kind of whether my materials have expired, uh, just very strange things, but she doesn't focus on, uh, the things that actually would spread disease, like reusing needles or pouring ink back into their receptacles and using that again and stuff like that. Uh, paperwork is a big one that she focuses on. Yeah. Now, I agree with you that especially at the local level, it's quite possible to come across people who have the attitude that I'm just doing my job and I'm not really here in particular to harass people. I just want to make sure everybody's safe. I think there are people like that. I, I think it'd be silly not to think that. But on the other hand, there is, there's still that so, so in other words, our caricature that we might have of all regulators certainly doesn't hold. But the other side's caricature, we just can't seem to dislodge from their heads, which is that the regulator is this all-wise, all-knowing superhuman <laughs> who will protect us from, <laughs> right. from wickedness. Right. And the reality is so much more mundane that it's it's a shame that they they have to they have to live in this fantasy world. Although I, mean, I suppose it's more comforting for them, but it's it's not really particularly dignified. Okay, so you were telling me that the industry, or at least at one time or another, has more or less been known for self regulation. What does that look like? All right, so well, I'll give you a little history of a short, brief history of tattooing in the United States. So. Tattooing in the United States largely started in New York City, and um, 
basically this guy, Martin Hildebrand, he came and set up shop in New York in um, the 1800s and he was tattooing civil war soldiers. So at the time there was no, there were no laws in the books about tattooing. The first uh, machine was invented around then. It was inspired by Edison's electric pen actually. And um, then tattooing began to grow. So it's funny because a lot of people don't know this, but in the Victoria era in like the 19th century, they were actually a fashion statement um, among royalty. So the Prince of Wales got tattooed and um, his kids, uh, Prince Albert and King George V, they all got tattooed and stuff and tattooers would make house calls. So none of this was regulated. Now, to be fair, back then they weren't familiar with like bloodborne pathogens and spreading. So, I mean, no one used gloves. I mean, it was just, you know, the wild, wild west or east in this case. But here's where things change. So in the tattooing industry, as more knowledge was gotten about spreading diseases, the tattooing industry self-regulated because without the government stepping in, they still didn't want to get the reputation of spreading disease, right? But in 1961 in New York, tattooing became illegal. And that was because there was an outbreak of hepatitis and the city just was looking for an excuse because, you know, they don't like us hooligans. That's what a lot of cities think of us as. And they basically made tattooing illegal, saying that the hepatitis outbreak came from that. And um, it didn't become legal again until 1997. Actually, Rudy Giuliani is the one who made it legal again. Wow, how funny. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And uh, he even said, and this was, I don't, this is not a direct quote, I'm paraphrasing, but he said that it was already happening safely in New York City, so we might as well make it legal. Huh. Well, okay. I mean, at least that's, I think, a reasonable person's way of looking at the situation. Right. One reasonable thing from Rudy Giuliani. Uh, right, right. I mean, I think we were owed at least one. <laughs> exactly. Um, but in other states, it was illegal. Like in Oklahoma, it was illegal until 2006. And in Massachusetts, it was illegal until 2000. So the thing is, tattooing was already happening in these places, just underground. And shops still existed. It was almost like the speakeasies of tattooing, you know. And they were highly self-regulated. It's not like you went into a shop and they weren't using gloves or they were reusing ink or whatever. They were doing the things to not spread disease because it behooves them to not get a reputation for giving people hepatitis, right? You would think, right? So there is certainly that. Now, I'm curious about the opinions of your fellow tattooers. Yes. Because I have the case in mind of a, I have a poker player friend, Adam Heyman was a guest on this show some time ago, and he tells me that most of his fellow poker players are sort of on the conventional left, and they generally favor, you know, pretty pretty big government. Even in poker, I said, well, don't these people at least stop to say, but they've tried to destroy what we do for a living. I mean, certainly they've tried to wreck online poker. Shouldn't we be skeptical toward them? And he says, no, their attitude basically is, well, you know, we do need some regulation. Can't be the Wild West out here. But apparently tattooers are not the same way. Well, there's a little bit of a, I think um, it's a strange way that like a lot of tattooers, I, I can't say whether most tattooers are on the left or the right. I think there's actually kind of an even amount of, you know, you go to Portland and they're probably more on the left and then you come down here to Alabama and probably more of them are on the right. But they all come together when you ask them, should the government step in and regulate needles or ink? For example, there was a suggestion, a rumor in the industry that the FDA was going to start regulating ink and you would have to put 
ink through FDA approval. And by and large, that was completely opposed by every tattooer I talked to. And the argument, um, which is a really sound argument, is that the government knows nothing about tattooing and they wouldn't be able to properly regulate it even if they tried. The other funny thing is, even without having any formal training in economics, there are a lot of tattoo artists that realized that if the FDA came in and started regulating ink, that it would increase the price of ink, which is obviously one of your major input costs. Yeah. And that maybe on the other end, that also increases the price to the consumer. And so, again, without looking at an Econ 101 textbook, they still kind of understood that this is going to increase cost in the industry. It's going to be bad for us. And so there was kind of a, a big backlash amongst tattoo artists against the FDA potentially trying to come in uh, and start regulating their materials. Yeah, and they even got together. Uh, there was a convention where they were getting together to form uh, kind of an organization amongst tattooers to help uh, self-regulate quality and self-regulate safety standards just amongst themselves. Can I assume that these days some states are more demanding in what they ask of tattooers than others? I think that health department-wise, they're pretty similar across the board, but there is a lot of difference in zoning. For example, where I am, um, we're only zoned for certain areas, so I couldn't open a tattoo shop just anywhere. But ironically, we're zoned for areas that are for industrial use. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy that like, they look at tattooing as kind of... Um, you know, a trashy profession or something. And then we're zoned for places that kind of fulfill that as like trashy locations. I was lucky to kind of find a loophole. Um, and my shop is in a really nice area, luckily. But when we were looking for a shop, that was really difficult to find a place that we felt was a nice location to open. So you, you weren't taking over somebody else's business. You were starting in a new location from scratch? Correct. Yeah, and that was actually a really frustrating thing. Uh, and for me, maybe brought back some of my libertarian angst from when I was much younger, because we're going from place to place to place where there are all these landlords who are more than willing to rent to us. And so I'm thinking in simple terms, OK, the, the owner of the building wants us to come in and rent and we want to come in and pay him. You know, both parties benefit from this kind of mutual voluntary trade. Right. But every single time we would have to go to the zoning board and make sure that the place that we wanted to open was zoned. And we continually got rejected. And, and for a while there, it was very, very frustrating because everywhere that we wanted to open, we couldn't because zoning wouldn't allow it. And of course, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, what in the world business is it of yours uh, where we open a tattoo shop or not, especially if the person who owns the building is okay with it? Uh, that was really frustrating. And like Leah said, we quickly discovered what was going on. It's that uh, the people either in zoning or really on the city council who make these laws, they think, well, tattoo shops are kind of sketchy and a little shady and, you know, People with tattoos, I don't know about them. So they only allow tattoo shops to open in sketchy or shady areas, which means, of course, that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And as she said, you only get tattoo shops in sketchy areas. So the shops you get are going to be really sketchy. And that was we finally did find a place. But after a lot of a lot of searching, yeah, a lot of the very high search cost. Yeah. Yeah, I, I bet. Now, the side of me that's interested in business purely, apart from the libertarianism, is just curious, 
how do you go about getting the word out about a new tattoo location? I mean, how do you, what do you do? I mean, obviously some people will drive by and see you, but do you have to run ads? Do you use social media? What do you do? Well, I was lucky enough. I'm an appointment. I'm a custom artist and I'm appointment only. And I was lucky enough that I already had clientele from when I worked at a different shop. And, um, for me personally, cause I run a private studio, um, I'm about to have another tattooer tattooing full time, but that's a new development. Um, and basically my clients just followed me and I am able to stay booked on uh, word of mouth alone. Wow. That is a great position to be in. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I do obviously, you know, put my tattoos on social media and then, um, you know, I have a, an Instagram account with about 12,000 followers that helps, you know, so I'm, I mean, I self promote in that way, but I don't, I would spend virtually no money in advertising. Well, especially given that it's, it requires your attention. So there are only so many people you can see. Exactly. Yeah. And I book, um, the way that my business model works and a lot of tattooing has changed a lot over the years because you have a lot of artists that realize you can actually make a good living tattooing, right? You don't have to die, uh, depressed and penniless, you know, maybe depressed, but not penniless. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, you have a lot of these custom shops where people can actually draw and mine is similar and I'm appointment only. So I book actually two to three months ahead of time. And then I actually cut my books off and I have a waiting list. Now you don't have to get any kind of license, do you? I do. I mean, I have to get one through the health department, Okay. but um, the health department license simply states that I'm not going to, that I know how to not spread disease. There is no licensing in terms of quality. So that's another way that tattooing is very self-regulated is that, for example, if you're someone who learned to tattoo out of your garage without formal training, and we call those scratchers, right? You're tattooing people in unsafe conditions out of your house. Tattoo artists who tattoo in a way that is safe and have high quality, they will kind of weed those people out and they'll even like, it's really interesting. I've seen like through literal ostracism, they'll, you know, basically call these people out on social media and they'll tell people not to go to them and they're really ostracized. So it's kind of, it's kind of fun to watch because they don't realize how, they're using the market to their advantage. It's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's especially, uh, I guess, interesting when, uh, like Leah said, uh, tattooers and maybe of all political stripes, either left-leaning or even right-leaning, who would say that they love the state in all these various ways, uh, come in and kind of self-regulate their own industry. And they understand, of course, as we said earlier, that Maybe government regulation is not ideal, but that word that Leah used for people who are doing uh, what we might call unauthorized tattooing. And again, it's not unauthorized by the government. It's not like you need a a state or even a local license. You do from the health department, but you don't get like a tattoo artist license like you would for maybe, I think, hairdressing or or to be a barber or something like that. There's no licensing in this industry. For quality. Right. But- these people, again, uh, that she mentioned, scratchers, that's a really derogatory term. And it's someone who didn't have a formal tattooing apprenticeship. Uh, what's interesting about tattooing is it's kind of old world and it's one of the few jobs where you get an apprenticeship and you work as an apprentice for one or two or maybe three or four years. And then you actually go to work after your apprenticeship for the artists that trained you. And 
only if you had a formal apprenticeship will uh, shops actually hire you. And if you didn't, they won't even look at you until you get an apprenticeship. Yeah. And like Leah said, yeah, current artists who are tattooing very much look down on self-taught artists because of the risk, uh, like she said, of spreading disease or just because usually the quality of their work is very, very, very lacking. Yeah, I have an apprentice now, actually. Yeah. The other interesting thing I'll say, and this is what I thought was crazy when I first became friends with Leah and then when we started dating, I really started learning about the tattoo industry. And my only kind of experience with you know, this idea that markets can regulate themselves, again, came out of an economics textbook. It's like, well, you know, I'm not sure how it would work, but I know that the government screws up everything they, they touch. So I just know that people left alone can kind of self-regulate. And I didn't really know of any good examples of a self-regulating industry until I got to really know Leah. And the tattoo industry is really self-regulating supply companies. So the companies that make like ink or needles or other things that tattoo artists use, they won't even sell you the supplies unless you're a legitimate artist that works at an actual shop. And they verify all of that before they send you supplies. Yeah, like you, they'll call the shop and make sure you work there. Oh. Yeah. So like if you, not that you would, but if you were to try to maybe start, you know, tattooing or something. Out of your house. Uh, yeah, out of your house. And uh and, and you went to these supply companies online and tried to start ordering supplies, they wouldn't ship them to you. Okay. They, would, they would very quickly realize, you know, this Tom Woods guy, he's not an actual artist and he hasn't had an apprenticeship and they, they wouldn't send you anything. So it's very interesting how the industry kind of regulates itself this way, not just artists, but also uh, the supply companies. Right, right, right. Yeah, that is interesting because that, that, of course, that whole approach is a kind of self-regulation. Now, meanwhile... I'm looking here, I see a headline from a little over a year ago. The headline is, Behind the Japanese Court Ruling that Tattoo Artists Need to be Qualified Doctors. So in Japan, they're clearly trying to discourage tattooing for cultural reasons. Yeah. And so therefore, they've put this absurdly onerous requirement on, I mean, you basically can't be a dedicated tattoo artist. You'd have to be a physician who happens to do this on the side, I guess. Yeah, they actually have the same rule in South Korea as well. And I've been to South Korea and I stopped in a tattoo shop because, of course, why wouldn't I? And uh, they basically, it's kind of like, um, I mean, obviously the people tattooing in South Korea are not doctors, but they are kind of underground. And I, I guess it's similar to how it was in New York before 1997. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, hmm. But you guys are, I, I'm first of all, I'm glad you're doing so well. That's astonishing. I mean, can you imagine how many people who would kill to be in a line of work where they pretty much have all the clients they need. You know, it's just a matter of they go to work and those people show up and everybody's happy. <laughs> That's amazing. That's great. Yeah, I'm really lucky in that way. So tell me about your podcast. I love the name, by the way. So tell us about that. Okay. So our podcast is called No Regerts. And um, essentially, I looked out there for, I listen to lots of podcasts. Um, sometimes I even listen to yours. Thank you. And uh, you're welcome. And uh, there wasn't a podcast out there for people who were interested in tattoos or curious about the tattoo industry or curious about the proper way to go get tattooed. Um, all of the tattooing podcasts out there were for other tattooers. And 
I thought, man, this is like a big hole in the market for information. Um, I get asked the same questions all the time. It doesn't matter if you're tattooed or not. I get asked, does it hurt? How much does it cost? You know, what's your craziest tattoo story? I mean, I don't blame people. Like, you know, I would be curious too. Yeah. And so I talked to Josh and I said, you know, we really need to start those podcasts because I think a lot of people would listen and we have a lot of information that just is not regular, you know, like available out there. And um, I really like educating consumers about just how the proper way to go about things. Cause I don't, I don't like it when people get bad tattoos. So, uh, and by that, I mean, poor quality, not necessarily subject. I'm not going to judge that as much, <laughs> but, um, and so we created this podcast for those people. So Josh doesn't have any tattoos, which makes an interesting dynamic. Yeah, that's and, part of our stick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's funny. Okay. I mean, I knew he didn't, but it's funny that it's part of your – how could it not be, basically? How could that not come up? Yeah, like he's the outsider, right? Yeah. And uh, I'm the cool one. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's so, See, I'm never the cool one. doesn't matter which podcast I'm on. I'm never the cool one. I'm not cool either. It's just, it's just a lie I tell <laughs> no, myself. No, I think honestly, if you're in tattooing, I think it just goes with the territory. But I'm looking at your website now because I've not um, heard your podcast before. Uh-huh. But I, I love the layout. It's uh, really easy on the eyes. Uh, the 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 t- <laughs> Rick Gertz is so funny. Uh, the <laughs> the length of each ep- I mean, it looks like they're about as long as my episodes are. So yep. uh, easily digestible. Uh-huh. Um, are you doing it just as a labor of love or is there a business angle in it? Yeah. I mean, you know, we wouldn't turn down money. So <laughs> that's the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we just set up a Patreon for it. Um, you know, uh, no, like you just find it with no regrets podcast, but our, our goal is to eventually, you know, be able to attract advertisers and, you know, maybe get sponsors and stuff like that. Um, we were, uh, actually doing a live taping of our show at a uh, a tattoo convention in Chattanooga in February. So that should be cool. Oh, that's great. Yeah. People will learn about the podcast. That's great. Exactly. And um, so, I mean, that the goal would eventually be to be able to make a little money off of it because it does take a lot of time and effort. And, uh, you know, we have um, two kids and they take a lot of time and effort too. So between them and owning a business and Josh having a full-time job and us doing a podcast, yeah, it would be nice. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. But it's, it's again, this is me not knowing anything really about tattooing, but with other other niches people might be in, let, let's say pets or something, Yeah, I could see that I could promote certain products that pet owners would like on the show, or I could have a an Amazon store and earn a commission on when they buy their kitty litter refills or whatever. But but what kind of products could I buy that are tattoo related that you could promote? Well, I imagine the best kind of uh, things we could promote would be more along the lines of things that people who get tattooed or who are interested in tattoos would buy. Yeah. So, you know, certain, like certain products, I'm thinking, I mean, even, you know, even like, I mean, everyone eats. So like even home meals and stuff, which is kind of the stereotypical thing people promote on podcasts. But like, um, for example, we were recently at um, this kind of YouTubers convention and there was a guy there promoting uh, these rings that you use, that you wear, that they're like uh, silicone and you can, they don't get caught on things, you know? So like if you are climbing a mountain or something, you're not, your ring is not going to get caught and like wedding rings. And he gave us a couple. And I thought this is perfect because I'm always getting my ring caught on my glove. Right, right, right. So there are a lot of products that, as you say, 
certain people might be more inclined to use. And there are a lot of products that we all use, we all have to use. And I was just wondering if there were specific industry-related things that you could do. But I, I very often promote just generic things, um, you know, because sponsors find that my, you, you know, when you have a podcast where 93% of the listeners are men, well, yeah, you know, a, a razor company may want to <laughs> advertise on that, but they get a lot of bang for their buck advertising on uh, on my podcast. But also uh, from time to time, I promote a really, really great foreign language instruction company. And not because this is a foreign language podcast, but because, well, any person at some time might decide to try to learn a foreign language. So it, it, it generally does work out pretty nicely. I mean, you see car commercials in the middle of any TV show you might be watching because anybody might be in the market for a car. All right, so I'm glad you're thinking this way because you're right. The As, as they say, the laborer is worth his hire. You're putting in the work and uh-huh. uh, it'd be nice for it to return something to you. But but that's great. I mean, I, I was going to say you could use it to promote your own um, shop, but it doesn't sound like you need that. Well, and also, um, you know, most actually a lot of our listeners are international and or don't live near here. I mean, I do have people who travel to me to get tattooed, but um, I wonder if, a lot. Of- well, I wonder if there are anybody, any people from Japan or South Korea shedding tears as they're listening to your <laughs> podcast. I know. I feel so badly for them. I know they're they're fighting really hard to to get things changed, you know, and I'm wondering how much it actually changes their day to day, because obviously these people are still tattooing. So. You know, also, I what I got from that is I'm part of your seven uh, percent. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. yeah, when when that statistic first came out, now it's it's a little outdated. You know, it it could be it could be seven point three by now. Okay. But but people were uh, using the hashtag I am the seven percent, and that was that was very sweet. I I appreciated that. So as far as you can see, is there a kind of equilibrium that's been reached between? regulators and the tattoo industry, or are there any Budinskis out there who are trying to push for more? I don't think any tattooers are pushing for more regulations. Uh, and I think right now the the seas are pretty calm. I don't think, you know, every now and then something comes up and, and everyone kind of gets into a tizzy about it um, and then they let it go. Um, so I think things are pretty chill. My favorite thing happening right now is that because um, – I think it's interesting just as a tattooer because there are no, there's no way really even, I don't even know how the government would regulate the quality of work because it's so subjective. Right. Yeah. But tattooers are getting together like a uh, piercers, which are all often lumped into tattooers. Um, a few years ago, they created uh, the APA or the American uh, piercing association. And it's become this uh, big thing where piercers um, aspire to be part of the APA and they will promote that on their social media pages um, when they're looking to get hired on like tattoo and piercing job boards. They'll say, I'm a member of the APA because the APA itself sets certain standards for jewelry and the way you pierce and stuff like that. Um, and it completely self, they did it all on their own. Have you, just one last thing, have you ever had somebody come into you and say, you know, let's say hold up a, an, an arm or a leg or something and say, Look at this horrible job this other tattooer did. This is absolutely terrible. Um, oh, yeah. So, oh, so you have gotten complaints about others. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, you know, just because you have a tattoo shop doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to deliver a quality product. Um, so we definitely, like amongst kind of local communities, you know, there becomes a reputation of shops of the good ones uh, to go to. The problem is, is that people 
um, you know, a lot of people want to pay the least amount possible. And there's a saying in the tattoo industry, which is that you get the tattoo that you deserve. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand where that would be coming from. Yeah. And so, um, you know, where I charge kind of a premium price for my product, it's, you know, it's not so exponentially higher than the other person that I think it would be worth going to the other person. But a lot of times, especially if they're kind of newer into tattooing or getting tattooed and they don't realize, um, a lot of people have trouble kind of evaluating art for quality, I think. Well, I think this is a case of cheap is the new expensive. Right. You know, I mean, it's, you think you're saving money, but you're really not. Exactly. And, but you know what, Tom, some people are okay with it. Like some people have tattoos that I think are horrible and they (laughs) love them. Yeah, I know. I mean, on the other hand, it's it's like anything else. You could go to somebody's home and there is the most wretched painting hanging on the wall. <laughs> you don't know what is motivating this, but yeah. they love it. Yeah. Yeah. The the big difference with a tattoo is it's a painting, but it doesn't come off. So. <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> and honestly, that's one of the reasons I want to do the podcast, because I was like, well, let's instead of getting angry, I'm just going to try to educate people, you know, because I've had I mean, I've had people come into uh, my shop with tattoos that weren't even healed yet and they wanted it covered up. They got them somewhere else, you know? And then by the time I'm done covering up the tattoo that they got somewhere else, they've paid, you know, triple the amount that they initially paid because it's much harder to cover something up than just do it initially. Yeah. You say, um, instead of getting angry, you educate people. I, I both get angry and educate people. It <laughs> seems to oh, work. I, <laughs> I, I try to, I try to, uh, Zen my anger, so to speak. <laughs> well, great to hear from you guys, and I'm, I'm glad it's going so well. I love the idea of the podcast first as a team effort, and with mm-hmm. one of one of you not actually having tattoos or having an intention of getting one. That just sounds so, so perfect. And plus, no regrets. And if there's anybody out there who's not getting that, it's regrets misspelled. That's the beauty of it. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's this classic misspelled tattoo. So it's no regretspodcast.com. I'll link to it at tomwoods.com slash twelve ninety-six. And I hope you guys will check it out. And thanks to the two of you. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, thank you. All right, folks, before I let you go, here's a brilliant idea. If you've ever read The Petition of the Candlemakers by Frederick Bastiat, the Candlemakers Petition, it is a satire. The idea is that they're going to petition the government to block out the sun because here's the sun giving away all this free light. How are we candle makers supposed to compete with this? We need to force people to shutter up their windows, to create artificial darkness, to stimulate demand for our product, candles. Well, obviously this is ridiculous, but the idea is that he's mocking protectionism because the same thing is that, well, how can we possibly compete if such and such good is being given away at or sold at a very low price? We need to create some artificial conditions in which we can prosper. It's similar to blocking out the sun. Well, if you're getting the sunlight for free, then maybe we ought to be producing different things. Or maybe we shouldn't shouldn't be producing as many candles. We should devote those resources to producing something else, and that would create more wealth for everybody. So anyway, the reason I bring this up is that a brand new website is now out created by somebody who listens to this show. And he says, I came to the liberty movement by reading the works of Frederick Bastiat. And Bastiat, for those of you who don't know, was an author who wrote in the first half of the 19th century who was kind of like an economic journalist or popularizer, but really was a great economic theorist in his own right. And he would write 
he had a talent for writing these short and punchy pieces from time to time that could really focus your mind and really get you to understand a particular topic. So anyway, he says, a few months ago, I was reading Bastiat's The Candlemaker's Petition, and I thought a Bastiat candle would make a great gift for a libertarian. So I created my online store, The Bastiat Candle Company. The URL is bastiatcandles.com. That's B-A-S-T-I-A-T candles.com. He's got five different scents to choose from, leather, Egyptian amber, lavender, vanilla, and special for the Christmas season, Christmas tree. Each candle comes with a wax-sealed copy of the Candlemaker's Petition. And of course, listeners of the Tom Woods Show get a discount of 20% off if they enter promo code WOODS at checkout. So definitely head over to bastiatcandles.com, enter WOODS at checkout, and take 20% off your order. That is such a great idea, and it sounds to me like a, a great gift idea as well. Well, he's getting this nice shout-out and publicity from me and membership in my bloggers group and all the rest because he used my link to get his hosting. So it's definitely worth doing that. You're going to get a nice boost from me, and it doesn't cost you anything. So check it out at tomwoods.com slash publicity. That's how you get the bonuses for me, and I'll see you on Monday. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time.